Folks, we're turning this morning to the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 24 for our scripture reading. The Gospel of Luke and the 24th chapter. Luke chapter 24, and if you want to break into the chapter at the verse 13, we've got a familiar passage of scripture here. This is the passage where we have the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. you find indeed that it is uh, a time of great blessing because they're going to meet with the resurrected Saviour even though they don't realise it. Luke chapter 24 and we're reading from the verse 13. And behold, two of them, that is two disciples, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word, and before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found that even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Just to pause there for a moment at verse 27. I've often wondered, it. it's a shame that sermon's not recorded in the Bible. Imagine what that sermon must have been like. For Christ to go through the Old Testament and to reveal to these two disciples all the types and images of himself all the way through the Old Testament. That would have been a tremendous study. <coughs> Verse 28. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. 
Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word for his own name's sake. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer and then we'll come to this passage of scripture, please. Our gracious God and eternal Father in heaven, we thank thee again even for thy precious word. We thank thee, Lord, for the joy that it is to have thy word in our own mother tongue, to be able to come and to read it this morning without let and without hindrance. And Lord, as we come now and even meditate upon thy word this morning, come and draw near to each and every one of us. Lord, thou knowest each one of us. Lord, we can only look on the outward appearance, but thou can look on the heart. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning whose heart is heavy, or any heart that is still absent even of the very love of Christ, then Father, draw near today and bless. To that end we do pray, empty us now of sin and of self. Cleanse us throughly with thy precious blood. And Lord, pour out thy spirit, even in abundance upon this meeting. And oh, for that resurrection power to be displayed here today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As a people that have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be no happier people upon earth than God's people. There is for the Lord's people every reason in the world, despite all the hardships that we're called to face, despite all the trials that we go through, there's every reason why Christians should be the most rejoicing people in the world. It wasn't for nothing that Paul was inspired to direct the believers at Philippi to rejoice while he himself was down in the depths of a dungeon. Now just imagine that for a moment. Paul was down in the very dungeon cell. There he was, weary in body. He was awaiting the executioner's sword. He didn't know which day would be his last day, but he knew that it was coming very, very quickly. And yet despite all of that, he's writing to the believers in Philippi and he's telling them to rejoice. Now if you were down in a dungeon awaiting to be executed, would the joy of the Lord be there in your heart? But there it was in his. And indeed the Lord Jesus Christ bids us to shine as Christians and to reveal that joy that only salvation can give even in the midst of all the trials and the troubles of life. And it is that response to troubles that really speaks volumes to this old world in which we live about the reality of our faith and the power and the love of our risen Redeemer. And while the world looks upon a child of God who's going through deep waters, and yet in the midst of that time, they look at them and they see them maintaining a calm faith in the Lord and still rejoicing in their salvation, despite all that they're going through, the world learns the lesson that Christ makes all the difference. They realize there's something different about the life of a Christian compared to the life of the unbeliever. They realize there is something more to this thing called Christianity, that it's more than just a religion. It is indeed our life. It was Moses who made this so abundantly clear when he was about to leave this scene of time and he wrote his final words. You know, it's always interesting in the Bible to read the last words of people before they die. What sort of words would you write if you were about to die? If you were told that today was your last day, what sort of words would you want to speak and would you want to leave? Well, Moses wrote these words. He wrote, Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread 
upon their high places. Moses wrote, Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord. There's no people like God's people, because there's no God like our God. And the people of God have a Saviour who is mighty to save, mighty to defend, and mighty to deliver. And the people of God need not fear anything that the world will do unto them, because they have Christ, the very one who brought about the death of death by his own death. And that is why Isaiah was able to write, it is well with the righteous. How happy Christians ought to be. But, and that one word changes everything. How often do you read through the Bible and you see such a promising beginning about someone and then this little word but comes in. But as God's people, we know that isn't always the case, is it? We know that what we ought to be, but so often we don't live up to what we ought to be. We must all confess that we've known as believers times of despondency, times when we've lost our joy, times when we perhaps have lost that peace and lost that glow about us that we should have as believers. And indeed, there are times when our circumstances can come in, our countenance can be low, and instead of rejoicing in all that we have, we almost drag on from day to day in life. We become anything except an advertisement for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the trials of our faith that the Lord sends into our lives, at times they can overwhelm us. There are times when our faith can seem very, very low. We hang our heads in sorrow. Times when we lose hope and it seems that life itself is almost futile. There have been cases when believers have even got so low that they just wish the Lord would take them and allow them to die. For example, you can think about even Elijah. Now, the reasons for this loss of our joy can work itself out in many different ways in life. But it always comes back to just one reason for the reason for it. What causes a Christian to lose their joy? What causes a Christian to lose that glow? It all comes back to losing sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, all the trials and the troubles come in and we so focus on them that we're not focusing upon the Lord. We take our eyes off the Lord and instead of looking up unto him, we look down at everything around us. And the more you look at this world and the troubles and the trials and the testings of life, then the less faith that you'll have. But the more that you look up unto Christ, the one who is risen and alive, then the stronger our faith will be. And you can go through all the motions you can be reading your Bible, you can be saying prayers, you can be sitting in church, and yet on the inside, there's a heavy heart. The joy's not there as it once was. You go through all the motions, but there's almost an emptiness there. John Newton wrote many hymns, and one of the hymns he wrote, he said this. He said, how tedious and tasteless the hours, when Jesus I no longer see. Sweet birds, sweet prospects, sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim, the fields strive in vain to look gay, but when I am happy in him, December's as pleasant as May. And how true that hymn is, whenever we take our eyes off the Lord. And the fact is that so often, whenever you read through the Bible, 
We see many examples of that. For example, in John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene is found at the very tomb of Christ. And Mary's there and she's weeping. What was the cause of her sorrow? She'd lost sight of Christ and she thought that she would never ever see the Lord again. She thought that he was gone and gone forever. And when that was the case, there was so much sorrow that swelled up in her heart. She was filled with sorrow to such a degree that even when the angels appeared and spoke to her, she wasn't moved. Now think about that for a moment. Imagine if an angel from heaven was to appear and speak to you. And yet even when that happened to Mary, even that didn't lift her heart. She wasn't moved. And even when Christ himself spoke to her, she didn't recognize him. There was so much sadness. There was so much sorrow that she couldn't even see the Lord. And you find that we have another one of these scenes before us. We find that here are two disciples and they're on the road to a little village that was called Emmaus. Emmaus was just a little village. It was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. It was the Sunday following the crucifixion of Christ. The day's almost over. The sun is almost set. And if you and I could draw alongside these two disciples, the one thing we would notice about them is that they were very sad. These disciples are amongst those who had believed in the Lord. They believed that he was the promised Messiah. And yet their hearts are filled with sorrow. But it's right at this very juncture that we find an interesting statement made here by Luke. And by the way, Luke's the only gospel writer that records this incident. And if you want to know the difference between the writings of Luke and his gospel and the other gospel writers, Luke's the one who, more than anyone else, I think, records those incidences where Christ comes to those who have completely given up hope. If you ever find yourself downcast, the Gospel of Luke is the one to read. And while recording this incident, Luke writes here in verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And those are the words that I want us to focus upon this morning. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now what sort of a road was it? We know these two disciples were on the, the road to Emmaus. And what sort of a road was it? Well, I want us just to think about that road for a moment. You see, it was just an old dusty road that went from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And there was nothing glorious about this road itself. There was no great scenery to be found. When you walk down this stretch from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it wasn't like walking along the Antrim coast and looking at all the beautiful scenery. You'll find that there was no special scenery there was nothing special about the road or the place. But the one thing that made this road special on this Sunday <coughs> afternoon is the fact that two of Christ's disciples were walking along it. And that's what made it special. Two of the Lord's people were upon this road. And let me just pause there and say to every believer this morning, no matter what path of life you're walking down right now, no matter how plain the path may be no matter how unattractive that road may be that you're going down life on at the moment that road that you're traveling that path that you're traveling is a special path to the savior because you're on it 
It's your presence. It's the path that you're walking upon that indeed draws the attention of Christ. And the Lord has a keen interest on the road of life that you're walking down right now because you belong to him. And the Lord had taken a keen interest in the path that these two disciples were walking along on this Sunday afternoon. And these two disciples were interesting disciples. We're told that one of them was Cleopas. Now I wonder if anyone in the meeting can tell me who Cleopas was. Because after extensive study and reading every Bible commentary I can get my hands on, I haven't got a clue who Cleopas was. All those years of Bible college really paid off. I find that after all the study I could do on Cleopas, I can't tell you much about him. All I can tell you is that he was married to one of the Marys and he was one of the disciples on this road to Emmaus. That's all I can tell you about him. If you know any more about him, then you can tell me after the meeting. But that's all I know about him. And you find that not only do we know next to nothing about him, but the other disciple on the road we know even less about. We don't even know their name. We just know that there was two of them. So we have Cleopas and his friend that was with him on that road, whose name's not even mentioned. They're two complete, basically unknowns in Scripture. This is not John or Peter or Andrew walking down this road, but it's two unknown disciples. And yet you find at the end of the day, these two disciples were very dear to Christ. Because Christ took the time to draw near to these disciples who were going away from Jerusalem so that he could draw them back to himself. And you might say to yourself, why? Why these two disciples? Why on the Sunday after the resurrection didn't the Lord go and speak indeed to Peter and to John and all the important men that were in that early New Testament church? Why two unknowns? And the reason is because you may be sitting in this meeting this morning and you may say, be thinking to yourself, well, I can understand why the Lord would draw near to brother so-and-so if he gets into trouble because, you know, he's such a man of God. I can understand why the Lord would draw near to sister so-and-so because she's such a woman of prayer. But I can't see why the Lord would take any interest in me or draw near to me because I'm a nobody. Well, here's two nobodies in the scripture. But they weren't nobodies to the Lord. They were very dear to him. And the Lord drew near to two nobodies on the road of life. And he did that deliberately to encourage you and I that the Lord can draw near to us. The world may never know our names. A hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, we'll be forgotten. But at the end of the day, the Lord won't forget us. And the Lord looked down upon these two nobodies. And they were special and they were of interest to him because they belonged to him. And because you belong to the Lord, the Lord's eye is upon you and the Lord's interested in you. And the Lord can draw near even to you today. But as you think about this road that they travelled down, what sort of a, a road was it that they went down on the way to Emmaus? Well, let me say, first of all, it was indeed a road of sorrow. What's the one overwhelming characteristic about these two disciples when the Lord draws near? Well, the Lord points it out in verse 17 when he asked them why they were sad. Here's the resurrected Christ appearing to these two disciples. And his question is, why are you so sad? I wonder if there'd be anybody in this meeting on this Easter Sunday morning 
And if the Lord himself were to appear and speak to you, he'd ask you the same question. Why are you so sad? These two disciples were walking down this road with heavy hearts. Just like Mary Magdalene, they thought that they were never going to see Christ again. They'd lost sight of the Saviour. They had seen him so much. They'd seen him work so often. They'd commune with him so much. And just think what that must have been like. Imagine what it would have been like to have gone back in time and to be one of these disciples. You and I live by faith. We don't know what the Lord looked like physically. Who knows what was the colour of his hair or his eyes or his skin. But these two disciples knew they saw him face to face in the flesh. They heard him speak as never man spake. They heard him pray. Imagine what it would have been like to hear the Saviour pray when even the disciples themselves afterwards had to say, Lord, teach us to pray. They felt that they couldn't pray after they heard Christ pray. So they saw him, they heard him. They would have witnessed the miracles. They would have heard his sermons. But now he's gone. And they think that he's gone forever. And you find that how descriptive this is of every child of God whenever we lose out with the Saviour. You see, when you're walking along in close fellowship with the Lord, you're drawing near to him, you're in fellowship with the Lord, and the eye of faith is upon him, and you're in communion with the Lord, and you're serving the Lord, even though there's so much going on around you, trials and troubles, there's such a joy in your life. Just think of the times in your life when you've been closest to the Lord. And think to yourself, isn't that the time when you had so much joy in your heart? There's nothing like walking with Christ. And when you're doing that, it doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter what your physical situation is, your financial situation is. When you're walking with the Lord and you draw near to him and he draws near to you, everything else in the world suddenly begins to fade. And because you're going on with the king down the road of life, and there's a joy, there's a peace, and there's a happiness that the world can never give. You see, we often think that our peace is found in circumstances. And how often have we prayed and said, you know, Lord, if you just deal with this one problem in my life and remove it, I'll be so happy. Just change my circumstances and I'll be so happy. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The lesson we have to learn over and over again is that happiness is not found in circumstances, but happiness is found in keeping our eyes upon Christ. It's being in that right relationship with him. It's found walking and talking with him. That's where real happiness is found. And I wonder if you've got that happiness in your heart this morning. As you sit here in this meeting on Easter Sunday morning, is there a happiness and a joy of salvation in your heart? Or this morning, are you more like these two disciples? Is there a sadness and a sorrow within you? Have you been walking down the path of life? And can you say that you're walking with the Lord? Because everything changes when you lose touch with Christ. Life becomes a dull, long road of sad conversations and mournful thoughts. You no longer hear his voice. You no longer sense his presence. Sadness and sorrow always results in that. But it's just right there on the path of sorrow that the Lord draws near to these two disciples. Right where they were so full of sadness, Christ draws near to them. 
And notice how ready and how willing the Lord is to lift up the downcast and to lift up that sad heart. Again, think back to the case of Mary Magdalene. I think it's one of the most touching scenes that you can find in the Bible. Here's one of Christ's disciples. Here's a woman who served the Lord and loved the Lord, and yet her heart is just filled with sadness. And do you know, believer, that the Lord doesn't want you to go on day after day full of sadness and sorrow. Because what sort of advertisement is that for Christ? Can you imagine someone all sad and depressed trying to witness to someone? There was a man in Hillsborough. He's, he's in glory now. And years ago, he was, he was uh, over in England serving the Lord. And he was telling me that one time he went with this other believer. And he said he uh, went out into one of the main streets of London. And they were standing there giving out tracts. And he said this other man that he had, to use his words, you know, he said he was saved. But he said it just never reached his face. He said, he, you know, they talk about having a face like a Lurgan spade over here. He said, well, this man was an Englishman. And he said, to look at him, he said, he was grim, he was down. And he said, he was standing there giving out tracks. And he said, along come this English businessman. He said, he had the suit on, he had the little bowler hat, he had the briefcase, and he's walking down the street. And he said, this brother stepped out, and he said, would you take a gospel tract? And he said, the man just stopped in his tracks, and he looked him up and down. And he said, no thanks, I've got enough problems of my own. That was, that's what he looked like. Well, what sort of advertisement are you and I? If we were to stop someone in the street and ask them, would they take a gospel track? What would be the advertisement? That's not the way the Lord wants us to be. And you find that there's Mary at the tomb and she's crying because she wants to know where they've taken the Lord. And I love the devotion that this woman has for the Lord. She tells the man she thinks is the gardener, Sir, where have they taken him? Tell me and I'll go and get him. Now, I don't know how big a woman Mary was, but she was just a woman. Have you ever tried to lift a dead body? They talk about lifting something as like a dead weight. You know, and can you imagine this little woman saying to who she thinks is the gardener, just tell me where they've laid him and I'll go get him and I'll lift him and I'll bring him back. How you have to admire her love for the Lord. And there she is about to turn away. In fact, the Bible tells us that she turned and Christ couldn't let her go. And Christ simply said one word, Mary. And that one word was enough to make her whip around. And just like that, she replies, Rabboni. One old Puritan wrote, Christ's heart was too full to say anything but one word. And her heart was too full to say anything but one word in reply. Mary, Rabboni. She saw him again and she fell at his feet rejoicing. But notice here that Christ was wanting to lift the burden and the sorrow from her heart. Notice that the Lord loved her so much that this time he didn't send an angel. The angel had already appeared beforehand and told them that Christ was risen. But this time it wasn't an angel that was sent. It wasn't a human messenger. It wasn't any of the other disciples. But the Lord himself drew near. And you know, that's what you and I need today, the Lord himself to draw near. And then he says to, the, to her, go and tell my disciples and Peter that I'm risen from the dead. But here in our text, notice it was Jesus himself. It doesn't just say Jesus drew near. It says Jesus himself 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 
He would entrust it to no one else. And what you and I need today more than anything else, it's not a sermon, it's not a preacher, it's not anyone else in the world. What we need this morning is for the Lord himself to draw near. You know, this road that they were travelling was a road of sadness. It was also the road of second best. You know, notice here in Luke chapter 24 that they were heading away from Jerusalem. Away from the other disciples. Away from fellowship with God's people. You see, it was back in Jerusalem where they at least would have had the support of the other disciples during this sad occasion. But they chose to leave the place of fellowship, leave the place of blessing, leave indeed Jerusalem, leave the very house of God and to go to Emmaus. Now, what was Emmaus? Emmaus represented their old lives. As I said, I know nothing about Cleopas. I can't tell you what he did for an occupation. But whatever it was, it was all back there in Emmaus. Why were they leaving Jerusalem? Because they thought the Lord was dead. They thought the Lord was gone. They thought they'd never see him again. So what are they doing? Let's go back to the world, back to Emmaus. Let's go back to our old lives. Basically, they'd given up. They were retreating. Instead of being in the place where the Lord wanted them to be, they were going to serve the Lord in the place of second best. But notice that the Lord drew near even when they were on the road of second best. Even when they were retreating. You know, he would not have his disciples to be content with second best. And how gracious the Lord is to condescend and to come to his people even when they're on the wrong road that's leading them away from him. And then he does that work that will bring them back to their senses, back to the place of blessing, back to the place of service. You see, if you are truly the Lord's, one of the lessons the Lord wants you to learn is that there's no retreat from service. You've been saved to serve. The Lord didn't save you and then take you to glory immediately the day you were saved. He's left you here to serve him. And he'll have your fellowship. So let me ask you today, what sort of a road are you on in life? Are you on the right road where you're walking with the Lord and you're serving him and indeed you're doing what the Lord wants you to do? Or are you on the road of second best because you've retreated and you've fallen back? Perhaps you've been discouraged. Perhaps there's a lack of faith. Perhaps there's a trouble or a trial that's caused you to trip. This was also a road of staggering unbelief. You know, the whole problem with these two disciples can be boiled down to that one thing, unbelief. Unbelief kept them from seeing him. Just think there was the Lord walking with them down this road, but they didn't see him. Now, they'd already seen him face to face. They'd heard his voice. They knew the Lord. But now here he is right with them, and they don't even recognize him. They didn't believe the words Christ had spoken to them. They didn't believe the scriptures that prophesied his resurrection. Had they believed, then they would not have been going down this road so sad. And the amazing thing about this incident is that although this was a path of unbelief, and this was, this was rank unbelief, this was staggering unbelief at work, but despite this path of unbelief, all the unbelief that was in their heart, the Lord still drew near. And here were two disciples who'd given up hope in Christ. And in verse 21, they put those 
put into words their unbelief. They say, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So much unbelief. We thought, we thought he would have done it differently. How often do we go through life and part of the, the problem that discourages us is, is, well, Lord, as I look around this world, if I was God, I'd do things differently. And that's basically what they're saying. We thought, we thought differently. We thought he was the Messiah. And he talked about rising the third day, but this is the third day. Just look at the sun, it's almost set. Where is he? <coughs> and how full of staggering unbelief they were. And is it not an amazing display of the love and the grace of God that he drew near to two disciples that were just so full of unbelief? He drew near to them. And how much the Lord desires that his people be not faithless, but believing. Your unbelief will always lead you into sorrow, into sadness, and it can even lead you into depression. It always will. You can mark it down. When you're depressed and you've lost sight of the Saviour, it will take you down. But the Lord drew near. Reminds me of the scene with another disciple by the name of Thomas. We always talk about doubting Thomas, don't we? Well, he wasn't there when Christ appeared. And Thomas said, Except I shall see in his hands the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You can almost imagine him shouting it. Except I see, I will not believe. Perhaps there's someone in this meeting this morning and you're not saved. Perhaps you've sat here indeed for years and yet really what you're saying in your heart is except I see, I will not believe. That's the cry that's coming here from him. He was unbelieving. Now sad, old Thomas was a sad case. Now, if we can think about the man in England with the big long face trying to give out a gospel tract, well, again, I don't know what Thomas looked like, but I picture him just like that as well. Another long-faced, sad, depressed, <laughs> doubting Christian. You know, when the Lord spoke about going to Jerusalem to die, Thomas was such a pessimist, he said, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, Thomas is one of these believers that would never, ever give you a word of encouragement, but he's always expecting the worst. And whenever you saw him coming, you'd feel like running in the other direction because, you know, if you're feeling bad beforehand, as soon as you talk to Thomas, you're going to feel worse. You ever met any Christians like that? Every church has usually got one. I don't know who it is here, but every church has usually got one. I can tell you who it is. I've already sussed out Randallstown since I've been there. I've got one. Everybody's got one. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. There are some people... And you go through and you meet them and they've got all the trials and the troubles of life and there's just a smile on their face and they lift you up. As I said, Molly's like that always with me. Despite everything, there's a great smile there that lifts me. But there's other people that you meet. And I tell you, by the time they... Like I said, there's some Christians you meet and they're like a tonic. They lift you up. There's other ones you meet and I tell you, you do anything except talk to them. Well, that was Thomas. But the Lord didn't want Thomas that way. So he appeared... The second time to Thomas. And what does the Lord do? He throws his own words back in his face. He says, Thomas, come here. Put your fingers into the holes in my hands. Thrust your hand in the hole of my side. And be not faithless but believing. And believer, the Lord doesn't want you to be a doubting Thomas. 
He doesn't want you going on day after day full of doubts and fears and worries. That's not the resurrected life. That's not the life that Christ wants you to live. We're not playing down the troubles, the trials and the outright tragedies that we have to, to face in life. Certainly not. But what we're saying is that those circumstances should not be governing our faith, should not be governing indeed the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's not the path of victory. And isn't it true that whenever you're full of fear and unbelief, you just feel as if the Lord's a million miles away. But the Lord came to these two disciples who were so distrustful and he drew near to them. And that brings a lot of encouragement to my heart this morning. He drew near to his disciples when they were full of unbelief. You know, sometimes we think the Lord will only bless us when we're up here on some spiritual plane that we're not normally on from day to day. Well, you know, let's go all the way down to the normal Christian life. Now let's go all the way down to the place of unbelief. And yet the Lord can draw near to us even down here because of the love of Christ for us. How little do we think about how much pity the Lord has for his people. Some Christians have the idea that God's always angry with them. That he's sitting there with a great big cricket bat. Although being an Australian, I can't mention cricket at the moment. It gets me into trouble. <laughs> but you know, some people think God's there with this big cricket bat and he's just ready to pounce on them you know, all the time. But that's not the God that we worship. The psalmist wrote, But as a father pitieth his children... So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. It was a road of staggering unbelief. But it was also a road where they spoke of Christ. And you know, this was the redeeming quality that was in these disciples. Despite all their unbelief, despite all their self-pity and all their problems, as they were walking down this road, they were talking about the Lord. They're full of unbelief, but they're talking about Christ. Because in verse 15... It says, while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. What were they talking about? Well, they weren't talking about politics. They weren't talking about the weather. They were talking about Christ. Now, it's true that they were talking about him from the mentality of unbelief, but still his death was the topic of their conversation. While they communed together. And I glean from that that we realize very or we don't really realize just how important it is that you and I talk about the Lord you know even though it was marked by unbelief while they talked about the Lord he drew near and I tell you this that this day when the Lord did that he blessed that spiritual conversation and that's one thing that Christians should always enjoy spiritual conversation you know, it's a wonderful thing to go into a Christian home and have fellowship with one another. When I was out in Australia, and there are some people out there I know that are saved, and their nearest church is hundreds of miles away. And there are people who go month after month, you know, with just their immediate family around them, and they don't get the fellowship. But it's a wonderful thing to draw near. And when you draw near with another believer to talk about the Lord. You know, there are some people, and they profess to be saved, and they never talk about the Lord. You know, there's some homes I go into and they tell me they're believers. And as soon as you start talking about the Lord, suddenly the atmosphere changes and there's this real awkwardness and, you know, they've got nothing to say. Have you got anything to say about the Lord? If someone was to ask you about the Lord and what's the reason of your faith or what does the Lord mean to you, have you got anything to say? Some people have got nothing to say. 
And that's a very, very sad thing. But whenever we come to the word of God and we, we read the word of God and we see people who spoke up for the Lord, even though they weren't full of faith, even though they were speaking from a position of unbelief, you find that the Lord drew near and he blessed that conversation as he did here. The Lord drew near and went with them while they were talking about him. Now, the early believers had a custom. You know, whenever it came to the Easter season, when one Christian would meet another, one Christian would say, the Lord is risen. And the other Christian would say, the Lord is risen indeed. That would be how they would greet one another. And it's a great thing at this time of the year to be able to get together with other believers and to shout that Christ is risen. To be able to go out into a world of unbelief. As we look around us, we see a world that is changing. We see a world that is getting darker. We can see everything getting set up for the last days, for indeed, uh, for, for, for a lot of things that are going to happen prophetically. You can see it all getting set up. You can see everything going on in the Middle East. You can see what's going on even in our own nation. You can see the stage being set for indeed the rise of Antichrist in the last days. And therefore, it's so imperative that believers are the advertisements for Christ. We're the ambassadors for Christ that we should be. So as we look here at these two disciples, before we point the finger at them, the word of God is like a mirror for us to look into. What sort of a week have you just had? What sort of a week will you have this week? As you walk along the road of life, will you go along it like these two disciples, full of unbelief, full of sadness and sorrow? Or in the midst of all the troubles and trials of life, if none of the problems in your life ever change and those problems continue, Will you still have the joy of the Lord in your heart? Will you still be able to tell others of the hope that is, there is within you? I trust that you will, for the Saviour's sake. Amen.